On today's episode of Not Your Average Boston Sports Podcast, we'll be previewing the Patriots matchup with the Atlanta Falcons tonight on Thursday Night Football and give you some keys to the game for the Patriots to pick up their fifth straight win of the season. We'll also take a look at some uh, similarities between this year's team and the 2001 Super Bowl championship team. Uh, We'll also take a look at Trent Brown's return to the Patriots' offensive line. We will then get into a preview of the other Week 11 games as we are well in the thick of the second half of the season. Uh, So we'll give uh, an update on the games going on this weekend. We'll also take a look around the league, including taking a look at the standings and where each team stands at the moment. Then we will get to the NHL, talk a little bit about the Bruins. They've had a, uh, or in the midst of a week off, so we'll talk about how that may or may not affect them going forward. We'll also take a look at Bruce Cassidy, um, sitting some uh, key Bruins players over the last couple games, and also get into what the lineup may look like as some players may be returning from injury when the Bruins return to action on Saturday against Philadelphia. We'll also take a look around the NHL, including taking a look at the standings as we are about a month and a half into the season. Then we will get to the NBA, talk a little bit about the Celtics and their recent stretch of games. They're really struggling for offense. Uh, So we'll get into some of that. We'll also get into a big stretch of home games coming up for the team um, and some key opponents, including the Lakers tomorrow night. We'll also then get to an update from around the NBA. We'll also take a look at the standings as the season is a little bit over a month old. Then we will get into talking a bit about baseball, and there's been some free agent activity involving the Red Sox. So we'll talk about Eduardo Rodriguez, his new contract with the Detroit Tigers. We'll talk about how that affects the Red Sox. We'll also take a look at some rumors surrounding Javier Baez and whether he would be a fit with the Red Sox, and then we will get into all the uh, awards that have been awarded or going to be awarded for Major League Baseball. Um, MVP gets awarded tonight, so we'll take a look at that. We'll also take a look at some other award winners from around Major League Baseball, and we'll also take a look around the league. And then we will get into talking about this week's college football playoff rankings. Not too much has changed, but we'll take a look at some games going on this weekend that may... um, affect those standings next week. We will also take a look at some college basketball and give you an update on the U.S. men's national team as they completed uh, the most recent Olympic qualifying, and we'll see where they stand. Let's go. What's going on, everyone? Welcome to the program. It is Not Your Average Boston Sports Podcast. I'm your host, Garrett Hayden, coming to you guys on a Thursday. I know we've been recording on Fridays primarily throughout the fall, but uh, 
we are here on a Thursday because the Patriots play uh, tonight at a preview into the Patriots game against the Falcons. Um, you can listen to the podcast on Apple Podcasts and on Spotify. You can uh, follow, give us a rating, subscribe, uh, all those things. On those things, uh, you can also uh, follow the podcast Facebook page and the Twitter page as well. Um, so let's get let's get into it. We got a lot to uh, get to this week. Patriots, Falcons. Not a lot of Bruins stuff to get to. I mean, not a lot of Bruins games being played, but there is plenty of Bruins stuff to get to. There's Celtic stuff, um, and there's also a good amount of baseball too. Um, typically, baseball offseason is pretty quiet, but usually this time of year, given out awards and such, there is uh, plenty of things to talk about. So um, let's just get right into it. Let's get right into it. Patriots tonight in Atlanta against the Falcons, a 20 start on Fox and the NFL Network. Um, so clearly the Patriots uh, coming into this game off of one of their most, if not their most impressive win of the season. A 45-7 absolute beatdown of the Cleveland Browns uh, last Sunday in which a game that was really never close. The Patriots did an excellent job defensively against Baker Mayfield, really shut down uh, the Browns' rushing attack. Our offensive line has been a very good line this year. Uh, but the Patriots really just dominated this game and uh, were even better on the offensive side. Mac Jones had an unbelievable day. Uh, three touchdown passes, you know. Did not scrape 200 passing yards, but, you know, I don't really think that that's much to, you know, bring down on him. You know, I think that um, he was excellent, you know, 19 of 23, uh, missed four passes, had three touchdown passes. Uh, Two of them were just some unbelievable throws, you know, into double coverage on the Kendrick Bourne touchdown and then just dropping it in the bucket uh, for Hunter Henry for that first touchdown of the game. Um, answering the Browns' uh, touchdown drive to open the game. So Patriots with 45 unanswered points in that game um, and really just dominated start to finish. So uh, good news is the Patriots are, are coming off a great performance. The you know not-so-great news is the Patriots have to play uh, two games in, uh, in, in five days. So, or uh, four days, excuse me. Two games in four days, you know, that is not, that is obviously, you know, not ideal when you're playing in um, NFL season with, you know, the bumps and bruises that you incur during a game and obviously, you know, during a season. So, you know, playing two games in five and four days is not the best thing, you know, it's not ideal. So um, I think the biggest thing for the Patriots tonight is the focus has to be there. You know, it's, it's going to be challenging because undoubtedly guys will not have, you know, the full week that they've had to be able to, you know, heal from bumps and bruises or, you know, just be able to have a, you know, not normal week of practice. So um, I think the biggest thing for the Patriots is they have to be focused, you know, and I think, I think especially it's avoiding any defensive penalties like too many men or, you know, encroachment or any of those things, you know, avoiding any big mistakes on special teams. Um, I think that's really just the biggest thing for tonight, I think, is limiting the mistakes. And I think that, you know, this is an Atlanta team that, yes, you should beat, 
this is a team that's four and five. No, they're not, you know, the worst team in the league, um, but you should beat them. You know, this is not a team that is going to give the Patriots much challenge. However, if the Patriots are not focused and, you know, make a lot of mistakes, this could end up being a close game. And I think, you know, they have to be very careful that, you know, this game does not become a sloppy game. And chances are it might be, you know, there might be parts of the game that are sloppy, you know, and I think that that's to be expected when you're playing two games in a short period of time. Um, but the thing to remember is the Falcons are also under the same, you know, circumstances as well, that they are playing two games in four days. So it's not like, you know, the Patriots are the only team dealing with this, but I think for the Patriots to keep the win streak going tonight, I think it's just avoiding big mistakes. Um, and I really think that Mac Jones has done a great job avoiding mistakes for the most part this season. Sure, he's had some games where he is lucky to have, or was lucky to not have more interceptions, or games that he maybe did not play well. But I think that for the most part this season, he's done a good job of taking care of the ball. And, you know, you've had running backs that at the beginning of the season had trouble hanging onto the ball. But I think that that's improved. And so I think, you know, offensively, ball security is really important in this game. Um, so I think for the Patriots, it's, it's focused tonight. Um, I also think it's very important to continue to uh, run the ball and run the ball effectively. You know, you have an Atlanta defense that is not very good against the runs. So the Patriots, you know, should be able to run the ball pretty well. And I think that, you know, the focus should be running the ball tonight. And I know that, yes, the Patriots undoubtedly will be throwing the football because they've wanted to have a balanced a, a balanced offensive attack, which they've been able to have for most of the season. But I think the priority should be to establish the run play action and things like that um, because I think this Falcons defense is a defense that you should be able to take advantage of in the run game and as a result you know take advantage of in the play action game so I wouldn't be surprised if this is a game where you know the Patriots run the ball until the Falcons can prove that they can stop them and they might not be able to you know I think the Patriots could score a lot of points in this game, but I think the biggest thing, obviously, is the focus has to be there. You know, the play calling, the execution, you know, all those things that you expect from a well-oiled machine on offense is, you know, all those things I mentioned. So that's the other key. You know, the other thing in this game to remember, it's not necessarily a key, but I think this is also a reason why I think the Patriots won't have much trouble tonight. Um, Atlanta is missing a couple of key offensive uh, performers. Calvin Ridley, obviously, has been out the last few weeks um, as he has stepped away to focus on his mental health. And um, I just, just a little note on that. You know, that's something that I hope that we start seeing regularly, you know, for, for athletes, for all kinds of athletes. You know, we've seen this. I think plenty of times within the last year, you know, you think about Naomi Osaka in the French Open, you think about Simone Biles, um, you know, and obviously there are other examples that maybe I'm not thinking of off the top of my head, but I'm hoping that this is something that we see in the future that athletes recognize that, hey, I am not in the best mental space and I need to step away. And I think that 
you know, that's something that I hope becomes a regular, a regular thing that, you know, athletes step away to focus on, you know, mental health and think, you know, something that is very important. Um, Hayden Hurst, the uh, Falcons second tight end is also out of this game. Uh, Cordero Patterson is questionable. He had an ankle issue that I think flared up on Sunday. So it's not not confirmed whether he will play or not. You know, clearly he's a, a guy that's been an all-around excellent player for the Falcons this season. You know, really outside of Kyle Pitts, I think he's been the most exciting player um, on that field in Atlanta. He's, you know, been a receiver. He's been a running back. So I think that, you know, if he does end up playing, the Patriots have to be aware of his spot on the field at all times, as do they have, as as they do with Kyle Pitts. You know, I think that the Patriots defense certainly has been playing very, 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 very well over the last few weeks. And I think that we would expect that to continue with some of the Falcons players out for this game. But I think if Patterson does play, you know, and you have Pitts there, you know, those are two guys that you have to be aware of where they are on the field at all times, because they can really line up anywhere. And for Patterson, that is very true. You know, line up anywhere on the line of scrimmage or in the backfield. Uh, Pitts is a guy that's probably going to line up maybe inside in the slot or maybe on the outside. So I think Patriots really have to be very aware of where those two guys are on the field if they do, if Patterson does end up playing. Um, So I think, you know, in terms of thinking about this game, um, I don't really expect the Patriots to have much trouble. But, you know, like I said, playing two games in four days is challenging, you know, and I think it's something that every team has to do at least once, you know, throughout the season. And, you know, this isn't anything new, but I think for people maybe expecting a blowout, I don't know if I would go that far. I think just because both teams, the the play might be sloppy, as we've sometimes seen in some Thursday games this year, um, but I would expect the Patriots to keep rolling. So um, I like them to win, like, something similar to the Carolina score. I could see it being you know, 24 to 10, 27 to 13, something like that. You know, I I expect the defense is going to have a good day. The offense, I think, might struggle a little bit, you know, just, I think, based on the fact that you're playing on a short week and they're bound to be mistakes. But um, I think the run game really was strong last week. I mean, clearly, with, with Stevenson having a career day, Trent Brown being back on the offensive line, I think, is really a big big development for the Patriots offensive line, I think should allow them to be able to continue to run the ball no matter who they're playing and really kind of give them that rushing attack that you kind of expected from the start of the season. Um, And it's kind of went away for a few weeks, but I think it's back and, you know, clear that Trent Brown coming back is only going to make their line even more dangerous. So I'd expect the run game to keep going. I think the Patriots will, you know, win this game, it might not be a huge blowout. You know, the Boston Globe thinks they'll win 28-3. to Got to got to definitely got to gotta laugh out of that. But um, I do think the game will be a little closer than that. But I do think the Patriots will win. Um, I will say that uh, one of the things that I've noticed over the last couple of games, and I think during the win streak, and 
especially on Sunday, is kind of the parallels between this team and the 2001 Patriots team, you know, the team that uh, beat the Rams in the Super Bowl. And I think that you're seeing Mac Jones, the quarterback, look an awful lot like, you know, young Tom Brady when he was, you know, taken over for Drew Bledsoe during that season and, you know, didn't light the world on fire, you know, didn't do any things that will, you know, blow you away, but he got the job done, you know, and was able to pick up key wins for the team and play well at key times. And I think that that's exactly what you're seeing with Mac Jones, that I think he's making the right decisions. You know, he's not overwhelmed. You know, I think that's one of the things that I've noticed through every single game that he's never really looked overwhelmed. You know, he kind of just looks completely unflappable, you know, that nothing really affects him that, you know, whether it's a touchdown pass or an interception, he's always looking ahead to making that next play. You know, and that was ever more evident in that Dallas game, you know, after throwing the pick six to Trayvon Diggs, you know, has the confidence to come right back and fire a 75-yard touchdown pass on the next play. So I think, you know, you're seeing some similarities in the quarterback play, but you're also seeing some similarities in the way that they're playing, you know, that they're playing with a very balanced offensive attack, and they're playing with a defense that's very solid and strong and opportunistic. Um, but you're also seeing leadership in kind of areas that you would expect and then areas that maybe you wouldn't expect. You know, I think that you have the leaders on this team, like the Slaters, like the High Towers, like the McCordys, but, you know, you're seeing Mac Jones kind of come into his own as a leader. You're seeing a guy like Kendrick Bourne, who has come in and has become kind of a a leader among that wide receiver group. You know, you're seeing a lot of a lot of great things, you know, leadership-wise and a lot of great things production-wise, you know, but I think that with how well this team has done, how well they've been able to rebound following the two and four start, winning four straight games, and kind of the things that you heard in that locker room, you know, after that start that you know, guys were like, we're better than this. You know, we're better than what our record says. And, you know, a lot of times, maybe that's not true, but I really think that this group really believes in itself and believes in each other. And, you know, that was one of the reasons why this team was so successful, you know, 20 years ago when they won their first three championships, that they weren't the most flashy team. They weren't the most talented team but they work together and play together as a team and as a family and, you know, made kind of the, I don't want to say the impossible happen, but, you know, make a, a dynasty happen. That was pretty, you know, unlikely when you think about where it started. So um, it's a lot of exciting, great times to be a Patriot fan, you know, not going to say that they're going to run the table and win the rest of their games, you know, but I think that clearly you're seeing, some similarities between this team and past Patriot teams that have maybe out outperformed expectations. You know, I think some would argue that, okay, the expectations were there because you spent that much money in free agency. But, you know, like I said at the beginning of the season, you know, this is a team that is going to be looking for an identity. This is a team that's, you know, in transition from the Brady era, trying to find something that they can hang their hat on. And, you know, it's kind of crazy. You're seeing them hang their hat on things that 
you know, they did 20 years ago. So um, hopefully good times roll tonight for the Patriots in Atlanta. And then they have 10 days uh, to get ready for a matchup with the Tennessee Titans. So that will certainly be a big game as the Titans are 8-2. and two. And we'll take a look at the NFL schedule uh, right now. So we'll get a look at who the Titans are playing before they play the Patriots. So taking a quick look at the scores, Patriots obviously with their matchup in Atlanta tonight um, at the Mercedes-Benz Stadium, one of the most uh, beautiful stadiums I've ever seen, like one of the new stadiums that are just unbelievable to look at. You know, you've seen uh, college football games being played, you know, obviously it's the home of the um, Atlanta FC, the uh, MLS soccer team, so you've seen games there, and let me tell you, that crowd there is unbelievable. They have a better crowd there than they do for Falcons games. Um, so taking a look at the rest of week 11, starting off the uh, 1 o'clock slate, the Colts and the Bills, so you have a Colts team that um, obviously started 1-4, and four. But they have gone four and one in their last five games, so they've kind of put themselves right back in the middle of the playoff playoff chase. Um, and the Bills, coming off a big win against the Jets last week, rebounding from their loss in Jacksonville. So this game could be very interesting. Buffalo, obviously at home, they're very good at home. Um, but the Colts have been a team that they've been able to grind out a lot of wins. So uh, I would expect that this is going to be a close game. I think the Bills win. But I think the Colts are going to come away with this game being pretty pretty happy with themselves and where they've been able to pull themselves up from. Um, team very much like the Patriots that they've been able to rebound uh, from a tough start. Baltimore and Chicago will go at it. One o'clock game. The Ravens coming off a humbling loss to the Miami Dolphins last time out. So I'd expect that Lamar Jackson comes back with a better performance Although you have a Chicago team playing at home, maybe some weather that might not be ideal. So this will be curious, but I think the Ravens come away with the win. Uh, Justin Fields has been pretty encouraging, I would say, over the last few starts. So he's given the Bears some reason to be excited. But I think that uh, Baltimore really desperately needs a bounce-back performance. So I think that they get it against the Bears um, on the road. Have the Lions and the Browns. Browns obviously coming off the uh, tough loss to the Patriots. Lions coming off their uh, tie in Pittsburgh last week, which was pretty shocking. Um, I know the Steelers are playing without Roethlisberger, but uh, the Lions kind of hung tough and almost came away with a win. Um, I don't expect them to win in Cleveland on Sunday. I expect the Browns are going to bounce back. Be curious to see if Baker Mayfield does play, does play in this game. And now we get to the Titans. The Titans will play host to Houston. So I would not really expect that the Titans drop this game. But, hey, you know, anything can happen. You know, I think that we've seen throughout this season in particular that there's really no team that's, you know, invincible. There's really no team that you've been able to look at and be like, they are the best team and they are definitely a, you know, true contender. I mean, we've seen... All the te- we've seen the Rams have a tough time over their last two games. We've had the Packers, you know, win 
last week, but didn't really look great. I mean, I know Rodgers came back after missing a week, and they've kind of been, have not really been able to get a lot of continuity in that offense the last two weeks. But, you know, I think any team kind of looks vulnerable. Um, But I do expect the Titans to come up with a win at home. In this one, you have Green Bay against Minnesota. Green Bay will travel. The Vikings had a good road win over the Chargers last week. Um, I think the Packers win, but I think the Vikings make this interesting. Um, I think this game could go down to the wire. You have the uh, Dolphins and the Jets. The Dolphins coming off uh, two straight wins. They will host the Jets. Uh, Zach Wilson is still not ready, so uh, Joe Flacco, who is recently signed, I believe will start in this game for the Jets. Um, The Saints and the Eagles go at it. This will be, I think, a very important game for the Eagles and their potential uh, playoff chances. Um, The Saints coming off a loss in Tennessee without Alvin Kamara. I believe he will be back for this game. Then you have Washington against the Panthers. Panthers, obviously, signing Cam Newton last week. He comes in and has a couple touchdowns and uh, spearheads the Panthers' dominant win against an injury-riddled Arizona team. So they won 34-10. They will host Washington this weekend. They have a great chance to get back over 500 and firmly into the playoff chase. Um, And speaking of putting themselves in the playoff chase, the uh, 49ers did just that uh, Sunday night against, or Monday night, excuse me, against the Rams. They get an opportunity to go back to 500 against the Jags. And then kicking off the late window. There are just three late window games this week. The Bengals and the Raiders. Both teams looking to bounce back from uh, tough losses in their last two games. So I'll be curious to see what gives in this game. Derek Carr against Joe Burrow could be a game that you see a lot of offense. Um, then probably the game of the week, you have the Cowboys coming off a throttling of the Denver Broncos and the Chiefs coming off an impressive win on Sunday night football against the Raiders. So a lot of people are thinking that the Chiefs are back and they figured things out offensively. This will really tell you if they are indeed back. I expect a high-scoring game in this one. Dallas and the Chiefs, 425 in, in Kansas City. Then you have the Cardinals at 8-2 and two hosting the Seahawks. Russell Wilson returned last week, did not really have a good game. Uh, the Cardinals still not sure if they'll have Murray or Hopkins back for this game. Uh, so I'll be curious to see how that game goes. Um, And then the Sunday night game, the Steelers and the Chargers, uh, both teams coming off pretty, you know, performances that did not make you feel good last week. Chargers coming off a loss and the Steelers coming off the tie against Detroit. So this will be very intriguing for AFC playoff supremacy. Um, And then the Monday night game, the Giants will travel to Tampa Bay, take on the Bucks, who suffered a pretty shocking loss last week to Washington. So See if they can bounce back. They are 4-0 at home. And then you have Denver and the Rams that are on bye weeks this week. So looking at the standings, Patriots obviously uh, still just a game or half game back, excuse me, of the Bills in the AFC East. 
Baltimore is uh, leading the AFC North thanks to the tie in Pittsburgh last week. And then you have Cleveland at 5-4, and four, or excuse me, Cincinnati at 5-4, and four, Cleveland at 5-5 five and five in the AFC South. You have the Titans, a three-game lead over the Colts there at 8-2. and two. They lead the AFC. And then in the West, Chiefs with a half-game lead over the Chargers and the Raiders and a game lead over Denver. In the NFC East, Dallas leads it by two and a half games. Actually, no, three and a half, excuse me. So they lead the NFC East at 7-2. and two. Green Bay leads the North at 8-2. and two. Tampa Bay leading the South. That was a pretty big loss for them last week as they are just a game ahead of the Saints and a game and a half ahead of Carolina. In the NFC West, Arizona is still on top thanks to the two-game losing streak by the Rams. So they're 8-2, Rams 7-3, 49ers are at 4-5. So now I'll take a quick look at the playoff standings. I'd like to go through the divisions just to kind of see what's going on there. So in the AFC, obviously Tennessee in the number one spot and kind of pretty much in the driver's seat for that number one seat, I would say. Buffalo is currently in second place, followed by the Ravens and the Chiefs. So those teams at the moment would be your division winners. And then the three um, wildcard teams would be Pittsburgh, New England, and the Chargers, who hold tiebreakers over the Raiders and the Bengals, who are at 5-4. and four. And then in the NFC, Green Bay passing Arizona for that number one seed. So Green Bay's the one, Arizona the two, and then Dallas and Tampa Bay rounding out the division winners. And then the wildcard teams at the moment would be the Rams at 7-3, and three, who some people had as the best team in football two weeks ago. Um, so they're in that first wildcard spot, followed by the Saints and the Carolina Panthers. So before we move on, talk about the Bruins. So give you guys a little update on things going on in the NFL right now. Um, a couple players in Los Angeles for the Chargers are on the uh, COVID list, so unsure if they'll be available for the Chargers game um, on a Sunday night against Pittsburgh. Um, Aaron Rodgers missed practice yesterday, but he will, or he plans to play on Sunday. Alvin Kamara returned to practice for the Saints. The Bucks putting uh, Richard Sherman on injured reserve. Um, and the NFL is also um, updating its NFL COVID-19 protocols uh, to intensify over the holidays, the upcoming holiday with Thanksgiving, and then obviously around Christmas in about a month. So that probably does it for the NFL. We'll move on to the Boston Bruins, the uh, suddenly quiet Boston Bruins, who have not played a game since Sunday night against Montreal. So I just will say, I don't really know what's going on with the schedule. You know, no one really can figure out what's going on. You know, it's kind of, it's almost funny at the moment because it's like the Bruins have had so few games, you know, 13 games. The Bruins, I think, have played the fewest amount of games in the league and no one knows why. You know, it's not really... You know, maybe it's a, this a scheduling thing really is the only thing that I can come up with personally. Um, but it's just so strange because, you know, if you think about the availability at TD Garden this week, you know, the Celtics have been on the road all week. They've not been at the Garden. You know, the Bruins 
you know, theoretically could have TD Garden available, but, you know, maybe it's a schedule going on with the other teams and the NHL just has had trouble scheduling games, but it just seems weird that it's almost that one team, the Bruins, have had to be kind of a casualty of that, which just kind of seems strange. So the Bruins, with a week off, essentially, uh, from their last game against Montreal on Sunday night, they will play the Flyers in Philadelphia on Saturday night. So, you know, obviously, the Bruins had a pretty good weekend last weekend, you know, bouncing back from that frustrating loss to Edmonton back-to-back 5-2 wins, a road win over the Devils, and then a home win, obviously, against Montreal. The Bruins were great in both of those games. You know, got some secondary scoring. Um, Eric Halla scored his first in a Bruins uniform um, on Saturday in New Jersey. And the Bruins were able to get some good special teams play as well. Got a couple power play goals in that one. And just played a really good road game against the Devils team that always seems to give the Bruins problems. You know, they're a team that always plays hard. Um, In the last couple years, you know, they've been a young and -and up-and-coming team. You know, Lindy Ruff always has that team playing just very aggressively. And it sometimes, you know, does not work. Obviously, it doesn't work in the Bruins' favor. But, you know, this season, it really seems like they have started to put it together. You know, bringing in some big free agents like Dougie Hamilton um, and Thomas Tatar. So... It was a pretty impressive win for the Bruins. And then to, you know, follow that up coming home against a Montreal team that's had a very, very tough start to the season. Um, But you come in, you're focused, and you beat, you know, one of your rivals. And I think the Bruins played very, very well, continue to play well as the game went on. You know, McAvoy was excellent. That was one of the best games I've seen him play in a Bruins uniform, which is really saying something, you know. I think uh, one one of the Nesson broadcasters said something funny during the game, and I think it may have been following his second goal, and they said something to the effect of, you know, uh, are are they really paying him enough? Is nine and a half, nine and a half million really enough for him? You know, and I couldn't help but laugh, but it's like, on the other hand, he's been so good for them this season. You know, he has really come into his own as being that number one elite defenseman that I think has a pretty good shot at winning the Norris this season. You know, if he continues to go at the pace he's going at, you know, he has 12 points in 13 games. You know, you do the math right there. That's almost a point per game. And I know that, you know, oftentimes the Norris trophy in the last couple of years is sometimes based around how many how many points you can get. But it's not just that. I mean, he's been an absolute rock back there as the Bruins' number one defenseman. has been excellent defensively, always has great defensive instincts, is always in the right place at the right time. But it really seems like he's now starting to take chances offensively, and it's paying off. You know, I had a couple goals in the Montreal game. You know, the goal that tied the game in the third period, he goes right to the net, and you want to see that from him. And I think, obviously, you want to take chances at the right time, but I think Charlie always has, you know, the the right instincts to jump into the play when it's necessary to, you know, Put it, get a stick on the puck when it's necessary defensively. And, you know, sure, he'll take penalties, but I think that he's really being that kind of number one shutdown defenseman that, you know, everyone hoped he would be when the Bruins drafted him in the first round. Um, so that was a, a great thing to notice in Montreal or against 
Montreal on Sunday. It was good to see Charlie Coyle uh, get on the score sheet a couple times. You know, the Bruins really need him to be at the top of his game offensively if the Bruins are going to be a team that's going to be a true Stanley Cup contender. Um, but I will say that you know this bye week is frustrating because it really seemed like the Bruins got some momentum going. And I think, you know, sure, had a really frustrating loss in that Edmonton game. But you've seen some good things over the last three out of the last four. Bruins have won three of the last four. And I think you want to see them keep that positive momentum going after two really good games in New Jersey and then in Boston against Montreal. So, you know, we'll see how the how the week affects them. You know, they have to go into Philadelphia, play a, Phillies te- a Philly team that's been pretty good this year. You know, Philly beat the Bruins, I believe, in their second or third game of the season and beat them 6-3. to three. So uh, there's definitely a bit of a revenge factor in this game on Saturday. But Philadelphia has been a pretty good team. Uh, Carter Hart's been off to a good start for the Flyers. Um, you know, the Cam Atkinson's, uh, Cam Atkinson, Jakob Voracek trade has kind of worked out for both teams. Uh, Atkinson did have a, uh, goal, goalless game stretch. I think he went maybe six or seven games without a goal, uh, before scoring an overtime winner, uh, the other night. So, you know, Philadelphia, always a team that is going to come at you with a lot of talent offensively, you know, with Couturier, with, uh, Giroux with Konechny, with, you know, Atkinson obviously coming over from uh, Columbus. So I think the Bruins obviously have to be very focused, very careful in their own zone defensively. Um, and the Flyers, I think, oftentimes are a defensive group that you can take advantage of offensively. So I think the Bruins just keep things simple, you know, keep things rolling and, you know, playing with energy, playing with energy at the beginning and ends of periods. Um so very curious to see uh, how the team comes out against Philly on Saturday. Um, one of the things that I've been meaning to talk about um, on this week's podcast, and it was something that I had noticed and other people had noticed, you know, I think Bruins writers, I think someone had actually had written an article, it could have been uh, Fluto Shinzawa, but I think it was very interesting to some people, the, um, decision Bruce Cassidy of Bruce Cassidy's um, to sit Mike Riley for two for the two games over the weekend, and I think that it obviously surprised some people because you know he was a guy that came in at the trade deadline last year and really was a huge added piece to what they could do defensively and or could do from an offensive standpoint within the defense. And I think, you know, you would have hoped that, you know, he would overcome some of the defensive deficiencies that he's had. And that wasn't, it's not really been the case in some games this year. And not to say that, you know, he's been, he was the reason why they lost Edmonton game or, you know, he's been the reason why they've lost games. Um, But I think that it clearly sends me a message that, you know, Cassidy's sending the message that, you know, if you're not going to be good enough, if you're going to make a lot of mistakes, you're not going to play. And I think, you know, it tells you that Bruce Cassidy expects more from certain guys. Um, And I think Riley is one of those guys. And I think that Linus Olmark could be one of those other guys too. And that could have been part of the reason why Jeremy Swayman played both games last weekend, Um, that it could be, 
that messages need to get across that certain guys, you know, need to be better. And I think that you saw that with, with, with Halla as well. You know, he played a pretty good game in the last two games, you know, and this was after Cassidy, I think, said maybe something to the effect maybe a week ago that, you know, he needs to be better. And I think that you saw a response and I think that you hope that you can see that response from Riley, you know, this weekend um, or Olmark whenever he plays. But I think it's pretty clear that, you know, the Bruins want the consistency every game. And um, it was very noticeable Jakob Zaboral playing um, against the uh, Canadians last game. And, you know, playing a lot of minutes with with, uh, Charlie McAvoy. And I think that the Bruins have kind of been searching for a good partner, a good partner with McAvoy, but maybe someone that can play with him every so often. Um, You know, I think that I understand the reasoning behind separating McAvoy and Grizzlick, but at the same time, Grizzlick and Carlo have not necessarily been the best defensive pair either. So I think... The Bruins just need to have more options, I think, with what they can do defensively. And it is very telling that uh, Cassidy has said that he does want uh, Jakob Zaboral to stay in the lineup. And I think that's encouraging that, you know, he was one of the guys that was coming into the season as kind of an extra defenseman. I kind of could, I kind of would hope, would have hoped that he would play more games at this point and play more games than Connor Clifton. You know, as I've said, I think that Clifton's better suited as a player that, you know, comes in every once in a while. Um, But, you know, he's played 11 games. And I think that, to me, you've seen enough from him the beginning part of the season that I think he can, you know, sit for a few games. And you can put in Zaboral, you could put in John Moore, you could put in someone like that. I think you clearly saw a a difference. I think Zaboral you know, clearly is a player that still is young and still needs to take care of the puck better. But I think that he's a guy that jumps up into the play offensively, but can be a pretty solid defenseman as well. So I think it'll be curious to see, you know, what the defense pairings look like against Philadelphia. You know, it's possible that Derek Forbert could come out of the lineup. You know, he's been okay defensively. You know, he scored a couple goals, which has been kind of unexpected. But I think defensively, you would hope that he would be a little bit better um, considering that the Bruins brought him over to kind of be a shutdown defenseman who can play number one minutes with McAvoy. Um, and I think that McAvoy's always done well with a left shot who's a kind of a bigger defenseman that can kind of hold his own in the defensive zone so that he can take chances offensively. But forward's kind of been not exactly what the Bruins ex- would have expected. Um, so I think it's possible he could come out of the lineup and you could see Zaboral playing top pair minutes with McAvoy. Um, or you could see him go in for Clifton and you could have him playing the right side, have him playing with someone like Mike Riley, who will come back into the lineup this weekend, I believe. So I think, in my opinion, I think I would like Zaboral to be in the lineup instead of Clifton. You know, I think that, like I said, I think he brings a little bit more, I don't want to say stability, but I just feel like oftentimes Clifton can get too aggressive and can get caught up ice. And I think that, you know, there's less of a chance that Zaboral will get caught up ice. So I think that's what my vote would be is playing Zaboral on the right side, playing him with Mike Riley down on that third pair. 
And then maybe you can put Grizzly back up on that first pair with McAvoy, but it'll be interesting to see. Um, the Bruins, I think Cassidy said at the beginning of the season that he wants to try to play McAvoy and Grizzly against maybe the less heavy teams and wants to have Forbert up on that first pair when they play heavier teams. So I'm curious to see what they do Saturday against Philly, and then they have a home game uh, Sunday against the Calgary Flames, who have been off to a good start this season. Um, in terms of the forwards, you know, no no real complaints with the top line with Bergeron, Pasternak, and uh, Brad Marchand. You know, Marchand, I think he's been playing it close to an MVP level this season. I know a lot of people would say, oh, well, McDavid's pretty much got that on lock, and, you know, he probably does, as he's producing at uh, more than two points a game, which is just absurd. Um, but I think more recently the Bruins have been getting a little bit better production from uh, Coyle and Hall specifically. Um, but I think you're still looking for more. You still want, you know, Hall uh, to be a little bit more of an offensive producer. Um, you know, you want to see improved battle from Jake DeBrusque. You know, I think that he's doing his best out there, but I think it kind of has to be a little bit better. Um, you know, Felino obviously was out of the lineup for quite a while. He came back this weekend, did put up an assist, I believe. So I'd be curious to see where he draws in once Craig Smith returns. Um, so, you know, obviously it's been a tough season so far for Craig. You know, he's played eight games, hasn't recorded a point, you know, has had some injuries that I think he's played through, and I think that he will return to the lineup this weekend. So there are some thoughts as to where Smith might slide in. You know, as Felino's been playing that second line right wing with uh, Hall and Coyle the last two games. So it's possible that Smith slides right back into that second line wing, you know, or does he slide into the, uh, the third line and play with, you know, Hall and Jake DeBrusque. Uh, one of the bright spots, I think, in the last two games has been Oscar Steen. The Bruins recalled him from Providence. Um, and I thought he played really well against Montreal. So I think... Personally, I would like to see Smith play um, on that second line, so maybe they can get Steen playing on that third line to play with Hall and uh, Jake DeBrusque. Lead has been playing a few games recently. Trent Frederick, I think, is still out with an injury. Not sure about his availability this weekend. Um, you know, Nosek has been in there. Kuhlman has been playing in there. You know, he's a solid player, but I think he, again, like Clifton, is a guy that I think you put in every few games to kind of give you a little bit of a jolt. I don't know if he's really a guy that needs to be playing every game. Um, so I'll be curious to see what the Bruins do with that, with that fourth line, what they do with Steen. Um, I think they did send him down to Providence this week, but I think it was to get him some game action because the Bruins obviously don't have any games this week. So I'd be curious to see if the Bruins can, you know, stick him back on the third line or they play him on the fourth line, you know, with a guy like Nosek. I mean, I think that either thing could work. I mean, I think me personally, I want to see some more chemistry with DeBrusque, Halla, and Foligno. Like, I want to see that third line come together. So I think Smith might be better suited on that second line. But, you know, I think... That was the line he was on and, you know, obviously wasn't putting up any points. So I'd be curious to see what they do with that. But I think my vote is to, is to put Smith back with 
Hall and Coyle, try to get him going, um, get Felino, Halla, and DeBrusque on that third line, you know, and maybe throw Steen in on that fourth line with with no second Lazar or, you know, whoever it is. But I think that Oscar's a guy that it, ice time for him is really necessary, I think, for his further development. But, you know, you saw some good things from him on Sunday against Montreal. I really think that with Regmore regular ice time, he could become a very solid performer uh, for this team for, for years to come. So those are just kind of some thoughts I had on the lineup. I'll take a look around the rest of the NHL. There were three games last night, Colorado beating Vancouver, uh, Chicago picking up their fourth straight win, beating Seattle, um, and then Washington ending the Kings' seven-game winning streak, which is Pretty amazing. I don't know what's uh, what's going on in Southern California, but uh, both the Kings and the Ducks have been off to very good starts this season. Um, Alexander Barkov suffered a knee injury in the Panthers' last game. Um, he is week to week. Carey Price is skating for the first time since announcing his return. Um, so that's good to see. What was not good to see is the uh, Ottawa Senators having to postpone three games because of a COVID outbreak. So. Uh, not sure when they will be able to get back to playing. Um, Dion Phaneuf, the former uh, Maple Leafs and Flames defenseman, uh, retiring after 14 seasons. So now, uh, with the season being kind of a month and a half old, uh, we'll take we'll start taking a look at some standings, starting with the Metropolitan. Uh, Washington is off to. Uh, a good start there. They're 10-5-2. They have 25 points. They lead the division. Carolina is in second with 24. And then the Rangers in third with 23. Carolina has only played 14 games this season. Uh, they're 8-2 and two in their last 10. But, you know, good starts for Washington. Very good start for the Rangers. Uh, they've been a team that's been fun to watch. Um, and then Philadelphia, I think. You know, should be a, a tough matchup for the Bruins on Saturday. That's their next opponent in the Atlantic. Or actually, why don't we just round out the rest of the standings? Uh, Philadelphia in fourth, New Jersey fifth, followed by Columbus, Pittsburgh, and the Islanders. The Islanders have had a lot of trouble getting going, um, as has Pittsburgh, as they've had some injuries. Um, so both of those teams struggling out of the gate. The Islanders, obviously have been on the road to start the season. Not sure when they come back or when they come home to open their new arena, but they've lost four in a row, so they are not playing great right now. In the Atlantic, Florida leads the division by two points over Toronto. Uh, Tampa Bay is in third, followed by the surprising Detroit Red Wings. They've been off to a solid start this season with 18 points. They have lost their last two. Um, but they've been a pretty interesting team to follow. Then you have the Bruins uh, tied with the Sabres in points, and then Montreal in seventh, Ottawa in eighth. But the Bruins, you know, with how few games they've played, already have three games in hand on Florida, four on Toronto, and one on Tampa Bay, which is kind of crazy that we're talking about games in hand. You know, 13, with the Bruins played 13 games so far. Um, so that's pretty interesting. Out in the West... Things are pretty close in the central. Uh, Winnipeg is atop the division, a one-point lead over Minnesota, followed by Nashville and St. Louis. All four of those teams uh, 
or, um, all four of those teams separated by just three points. And then you have Colorado in fifth. They've had a tough time to start the season. They've had some COVID issues, some injuries, uh, but they have won their last three games. So they have 15 points. And then Dallas is in sixth, followed by Chicago, who has won four straight games. And then Arizona in last place, as they've had a terrible start to the season. The only one of three teams at the moment that do not have uh, double-digit points is they have just five. In the Pacific, Anaheim leads the division, which is kind of crazy to say at this point in the season. Um, One-point lead over Edmonton, two over Calgary, and then Vegas in fourth, tied with the Kings. And then you have San Jose in sixth, Vancouver in seventh, and then Seattle in eighth. Seattle's had a pretty rough start to the season. Uh, Philip Grubauer, the goaltenders, had... Uh, has had some issues this season. You know, they're a decent team um, at home. You know, three and five, it's not perfect, but um, they are not playing well away from home at one, six, and one, and they've lost their last five games. So that probably does it for the NHL. We'll move on talking about the Celtics and their uh, recent play. Dropped a game to the Hawks last night, the Hawks winning their third straight game, winning their sixth and seven at home, uh, beating the Celtics 110 to 99. So the Celtics, I think, as we talked about last week, seemingly have found a bit of an identity, which I think is a good thing. You know, that they're trying to be a really solid defensive team. Obviously did not have a good defensive game last night um, as the Hawks really kind of shot the lights out in this game. Um, beating the Celtics by 11. And this was a game that the Celtics have had, or Celtics had trouble offensively. And that's kind of been the story for them for a good period of time. Jason Tatum is off to a tough shooting start this season. Um, and the Celtics have had trouble, you know, getting up over 100 points. They've actually not been able to do that in their last three games. And as a result, they've lost two of them. Um, a pretty ugly uh, a pretty ugly loss to the Cavaliers on Saturday, um, in which the Cavaliers came back from a 19-point late third-quarter deficit to beat the Celtics. Um, but the Celtics did rebound in Cleveland on Monday night, getting the win, but then obviously dropping the game to the Hawks last night. Um, it just seems like offensively they've just kind of been in a rut, and I think it kind of, to me, has a bit to do with Jalen Brown's uh, inability or Jalen Brown's non-availability really struggled to find words for that. Um, but I think that the offense has struggled without him that often or defenses are really keying in on Jason Tatum. Um, and I think the Celtics kind of the rest of the team has really not been able to pick up the slack. And obviously they've been able to win some games. And I think that obviously the whole season, they've not had trouble offensively, but I think that, you know, Tatum's having a tough start and, you know, the rest of the offense is kind of suffering. And I don't really know that there's an answer for it. You know, I think that kind of fundamentally what the answer should be is, you know, Jason needs to be more aggressive and taking it to the basket, drawing fouls, getting to the free throw line, because that's a very easy way to get to pick up some points and kind of get your shooting stroke back. But I think Really, it's just shots need to fall. And I know that that, you know, sounds very simple, and it is. But I think that that's really 
what needs to change. And I think, you know, hopefully with Jalen Brown's return at some point, you know, the offense can be a little bit more than, or can be a little bit more two-dimensional that, you know, you can get points in different ways. You know, I think the Celtics offense works the best when, you know, Jalen is in the lineup and is getting to the basket and is knocking down threes um, because I think it makes Jason Tatum that much more dangerous. Um, And it's not like the Celtics have had, it's not like they're getting no points. You know, I think Dennis Schroeder has been a pretty good example of a player that has been able to get buckets pretty consistently. You know, you saw that with the performance of Friday night um, against the Bucks with 38 points, but I think he's been a guy that has been able to get points pretty easily. And, you know, Josh Richardson, I think to me, is also getting some shots to fall. He's getting some threes to fall. But, you know, outside of that, the Celtics are really struggling to get any type of bench production. And, you know, Schroeder is starting at the moment because Jalen Brown's not healthy. Um, Grant Williams started in place of Robert Williams last night. The Celtics were not, you know, fully healthy. And I think fully healthy, this is a team that will be tough to beat. But I think, you know, as we saw last season, you really weren't able to get most of the team to be healthy all at one time. And I think that needs to happen for them to be the best that they can be offensively. And that might just be what they need. But I think at the same time, the bench needs to be better. You know, guys like Aaron Neesmith and, you know, Pritchard in the minutes that he's playing or, you know, Cantor or, you know, Romeo Langford. Like, you need bench scoring every single game. You know, you can't go through games where one player scores points off the bench, and that's what happened last night. Richardson was the only player off the bench that scored any points. He scored 11 points. No one else scored. And it's like, you cannot win games in the NBA playing like that. And I don't really know what it is. You know, guys need to play with more consistency. You know, it's like Romeo Langford has had some games where he is aggressive, takes it to the basket, and gets to the free throw line or gets layups. And he's not always playing like that. And I think, yes, obviously, he's a younger player, and it takes a little bit for guys like that to kind of play with that consistency. But you need to play with that consistency if you're going to be a player that's going to be a rotation player for the Celtics in years to come. So, you know, it may be as simple as getting Jalen Brown back into the lineup and getting Rob Williams back in and keeping him healthy. And, you know, I think the the knee issue is not too much of a concern, I think, according to the Celtics staff. But, you know, I think that you saw it last night that the team really is struggling to get kind of consistent bench play. And I know that a guy like Pritchard, he's not getting the minutes that he got last year. And obviously that's difficult. Obviously that's challenging. You know, his minutes have almost been cut in half. You know, he played 19 minutes last year and now he's playing 10, you know, and I think that it's something that he has to adjust to. Um, And I think it's just kind of guys getting their shooting stroke back. Uh, One of the positives, I think, before we get to uh, talking about the Celtics and their upcoming home stretch um, is Grant Williams. You know, he's been a pretty solid shooter for this team. You know, he scored 18 points last night. You know, he's really improved his three-point shooting. And I think, you know, he's a guy that really can benefit from 
Jalen Brown coming back, that the Celtics can, you know, have another element to their offense, that they can make things dangerous for opposing teams, that they continue to leave Grant wide open in the corner and he continues to knock down threes. Um, and so I think fully healthy, this team can be a very good offensive team that looks to move the ball and pass the ball. Um, but I think that it's maybe just getting a little too stagnated, but I think I'm not overly concerned with, with Jason Tatum's poor shooting start. Um, I think that it will improve. You know, I think that it's just something that he's just going through and I think he needs to figure out. Um, but the great ones always figure it out. And I do believe Jason is, you know, one of the best players in the NBA and I think he will figure it out at some point. Um, but I really think that, you know, Grant Williams was excellent last night and I think has the ability to be a very good bench player and, you know, to keep things <laughs> going with the Williams theme. You know, I think Rob Williams has been excellent to start the season, but, you know, he's a guy that really kind of needs to be on the court for this team to be, you know, whatever they want to be, a, a playoff team in the East. And, you know, I think the Celtics have still struggled out of the gate to get everyone healthy and everyone playing the way that the team expects. And I think, hopefully, if Jalen Brown can return, the Celtics can take advantage of this home stretch um, after a little bit of a, a road trip and take advantage of this home stretch that, you know, may not necessarily be easy, but I think it's going to be a good time for the Celtics to kind of get into a rhythm, hopefully with a healthy roster and, you know, with some home games that they can, you know, take advantage of the, the garden crowd that I think is itching for this team to have a little bit more success at home as they won their first two home games last week against Toronto and Milwaukee. Um, Celtics have four straight starting uh, tomorrow night against the Lakers. They will host Los Angeles, LeBron James may be making his return tomorrow. Um, so uh, there are sources that say it's 50-50. You know, he's, I think LeBron is intending to play. So uh, that will be very interesting to see how that how that happens. The Lakers obviously made a lot of moves in the offseason. Uh, the Celtics made some too. So, you know, if LeBron is playing, this will be a huge kind of measuring stick game for the Celtics team, you know. I think a lot of people were hoping the Bucks game last week was going to be a measuring stick game, but Giannis obviously did not play. Um, so I'd be curious to see how the, how the Celtics line up against the Lakers on Friday, and then they host the Thunder the next night at 7.30. So Celtics with a back-to-back -back at home, and then we'll play Houston and the Nets next week uh, before going out on the road to play San Antonio and Toronto next weekend. So the Celtics... Four home games, two pretty good teams, and two teams that you should be able to beat. So curious to see how they rebound. Uh, hopefully Jalen Brown can be available for Friday's game or Saturday's game, and then if not, maybe Monday or Wednesday against Brooklyn. So I think we'll take a quick look at uh, around the NBA. We'll take a look at standings in a moment. The Celtics... Um, Actually, now we're doing standings in a moment. I just said that. Uh, Giannis with uh, 47 points last night for the Bucks as they get a win over the Lakers. The Bucks have kind of been 
not so great out of the gate, you know, just seven and eight like the Celtics. Uh, the Lakers are eight and eight. They've had a tough time without LeBron, uh, but the Bucks get the win. The uh, Wizards are off to a great start. They extended their GM's contract the other day. Uh, Clay Thompson is moving closer to full contact, which is just not good news for the rest of the NBA because the Warriors are off to a 12-2 and start. Uh, the Staples Center is getting a new name, the Crypto.com uh, Center, I think, or Arena or whatever. And I don't know, that just kind of disappointed me because like the that the Staples Center is like one of the most iconic arenas in in in, in the world, and it's like oh they're they're renaming it. I'm not sure how I feel about that, and you know undoubtedly TD Garden probably will be renamed at some point, but you know, I don't know. I kind of I'm gonna miss that, and I know obviously it's the same arena. It's not like they're tearing down the arena, but it's like come on, the Staples Center has a has a ring to it. Crypto.com Center, Crypto.com Arena, like. That doesn't sound very appealing, but, you know, whatever. I don't, I don't make those decisions. Um, there's, that, that is way above my, my pay grade, so to speak. Um, Zion Williamson is cleared for uh, contact, and we'll start with one-on-one -on -one drills. The Pelicans are not off to a good start. Things might be uh, getting ugly in there before the end of the season. I think some people might be fired. You could see some trades uh, with that team. So taking a look at the standings now, the Celtics stand at seven and eight in the division stand in the division. I mean, I just think the divisions are, are pointless in the NBA at this point. So we'll just take a look at the uh, conference standings at the moment. The NBA obviously is still, I think, is going forward with the uh, tournament to determine the seventh and eighth seed. So um, at the moment, you have the Wizards and the Nets tied atop the Eastern Conference. The Wizards are off to a great start, one of the best starts they've had in years. Um, the Bulls are in third, currently tied with the Heat. Um, then the surprising Charlotte Hornets are 9-7. Uh, and seven. They've won four straight. They've had good wins over some top teams in the East and West. Uh, the Cavaliers are off to a good start. They split a series with the Celtics, obviously. Um, earlier in the week. So they are 9-7. They're in 6th. Um, and then you have the play-in tournament line. Uh, the Knicks in 7th, the Sixers in 8th, and then the Celtics and the Raptors ninth and 10th at the moment. And Milwaukee is actually out of the playoff structure, but obviously that's not, that, that is not staying the same. The same thing with the Hawks. Uh, but they have won three straight, so they've kind of rebounded. Uh, the Sixers have lost five in a row, so they, um, following up their 8-2 and two start, have now lost uh, five in a row. The Ben Simmons thing is doesn't seem like it's going to be changing um, anytime soon. In the Western Conference, the Warriors obviously on top, um, but the Phoenix Suns are closing fast on them. They've won 10 straight games, so they are 11-3. Utah in third, Dallas in fourth, followed by Denver and the Clippers in fifth and sixth. And then in the West kind of play in bracket or whatever you want to say you have Portland in seventh followed by the Lakers the Grizzlies and the Oklahoma City Thunder um, any of the Rockets who have lost 13 straights they're obviously off to a very poor start although Jalen Green has been pretty exciting to watch for that young team they're in Boston on Monday night to play the Celtics so that probably does it for the NBA
Um, Celtics obviously taking on the uh, LA Lakers tomorrow night, 7.30 at the Garden. Definitely uh, keep checking updates to see if LeBron uh, will in fact play. So it'll be curious to see. So we'll move on, talk a little baseball. And there is plenty of baseball to talk about with um, awards, you know, Red Sox news. Um, so before we kind of get into kind of the baseball stuff that I wanted to talk about, um, it would make sense for us to um, say a word about um, Julio Lugo, the former Red Sox shortstop that um, had passed away recently. Um, obviously, it was a part of that 2007 championship team, um, played for seven teams in his 12-year major league career. He was 45, uh, played a you know, big role in that 07 team. You know, if you guys remember the Mother's Day miracle in 2007, the Red Sox were uh, down 5 nothing to the Orioles in the ninth inning. Uh, Julio Lugo gets the game-winning hit. Um, and the Red Sox score six runs in that ninth inning. That was one of the craziest Red Sox games I think I've ever seen. Um, so obviously thoughts and, and prayers go out to um, his family. Uh, the Red Sox ownership made news a couple days ago as they are... Um, or the Fenway Sports Group is uh, in is in advanced talks to purchase the Pittsburgh Penguins, who are uh, for sale. I did not know that, so obviously that uh, creates some pretty interesting conversations with the Fenway Sports Group. Obviously tied to the city of Boston and the Bruins, and you know they own Nesson. So there's some people wondering, okay, well. Is Nesson going to have a conflict of interest now if they're going to buy the Penguins or if the ownership group is going to buy the Penguins? So, you know, that's kind of interesting. Uh, obviously, the ownership group, including, or the ownership group includes, you know, owning the Red Sox and then uh, Liverpool. Um, and, you know, LeBron James is also part of it, too. So, yeah, sports ownership is, is crazy and I don't understand it, but I guess that's kind of news. <laughs> In terms of baseball Red Sox news. Uh, the Red Sox, unfortunately, losing Eduardo Rodriguez to the Detroit Tigers, signed a five-year, $77 million deal to join the Tigers. A bit of a pretty a pretty big contract for a player like him. You know, I think that Eduardo obviously meant a lot to the Red Sox and the organization, but I think that's a little too much money for the Red Sox to spend on Erod, who's a guy that obviously has been pretty good when he's been healthy, but I think that he's had, you know, not just the, the health issues with, you know, with, with COVID last year, but I think also he's had durability issues with other injuries. So I think, you know, spending that much money over five years, I think just would be, probably would be a mistake on the Red Sox part. So um, he leaves to the Tigers. And so obviously now the Red Sox have a pretty interesting hole in the pitching rotation. You know, I think clearly the Red Sox are hoping that Sale, you know, comes back and and is his normal self, comes back and is his normal self next year. <laughs> and, you know, Ivaldi comes back as that number two. You know, speaking of Ivaldi, he actually came in fourth in the American League Cy Young voting. We'll get to that in a moment. But, you know, that goes to show you that if Chris Sale is going to be, if they expect Chris Sale to be, his normal self, you have Ivaldi as a pretty good number two pitcher um, there. So I'm curious to see what the Red Sox do. Obviously, with the rotation, uh, Perez and Richards will not be back. Uh, Pavetta will be back. 
you know, and undoubtedly the Red Sox will have a decision about bringing, potentially bringing in Tanner Houck into the rotation. You know, do they look elsewhere in free agency to try to sign someone and bring someone in? Don't hold your breath on spending money for Max Scherzer. I don't think that's going to happen. Um, and obviously it's not going to happen with Justin Verlander, uh, who just re-upped with the Astros the other day. So, you know, that's not happening. But I think um, it's very curious because I think Hauk is definitely a guy that the Red Sox have pegged for the rotation for a few years. So I think this is really his opportunity to grab a spot in the rotation. But clearly, you know, if you have Hauk, Pavetta, Ivaldi, and Sale, you may still have one more spot. So curious to see what the Red Sox plan is for for that. But I think at the end of the day, Erod leaving is kind of expected, you know, if he was going to get that big of a contract, you know, I think if he was going to come back, you probably would not have seen that big of a contract. But I think clearly if you're the Red Sox, you know, you're not bringing him back on that, on that, like with that price. Um, a rumor that's been flying around the last couple of days involving the Red Sox has been Javier Baez, the uh, former second baseman of the Cubs, was traded to the Mets at one point last year, I can't remember if it was the trade deadline. Um, it probably was. Eric Bellier probably would, would know best being a Mets guy. But uh, Bias played very well with the Mets after being traded. Played in just played in just 47 games, but hit 299. Um, and I think was, you know, obviously had good numbers in Chicago in 91 games. 22 home runs, 65 RBIs, but only hit 248. Um, and then comes to the Mets and hits 299 over 47 games. And that's actually a higher batting average than he ever had for any other season. So I think the rumors uh, involving the Red Sox are bringing in Baez, potentially having him play second base or having him play shortstop and moving Bogarts over. Um, Alex Cora, I think, is known to have a good relationship with Baez, so there could be a possibility that they could bring him in. He's 28. You know, he's going to be a free agent. I'd be curious to see if the Red Sox, you know, spend money on him. You know, I think he could be someone more, more possible than a Marcus Simeon. You know, I think that he, the Celtics, Celtics, I think the Red Sox might, could be priced out on him just because he hit 40, he hit 45 home runs. He's a heck of an offensive player. And I think that like, there could be a team that grossly overpays for him, um, and Baez maybe could be a cheaper guy the Red Sox could go after. It probably is not going to be that much cheaper, I think, um, for a guy who hit 31 home runs last year, but I think he could be a reasonable player the Red Sox look into, obviously, as a fantastic uh, defensive player. You know, I think batting and hitting leaves a little bit to be desired as he's Hitting leaves a little bit to be desired. I don't know what's going on with me today. Um, because he's never really been a guy that's hit for average. You know, the highest he's ever hit during a full season is 290. Um, but I think that might be, you know, I think it might be nitpicking a little bit. You know, I think that he is a pretty good offensive player. And I think, honestly, probably would fit very well in the Red Sox offense. I think in the middle infield, whether that's second base or, you know, if, if that's second base, I think it's a position the Red Sox have been struggling to kind of find good offensive production at. And I think 
if you have a chance to sign Baez, I think you should take it, you know, because you might not be able to get a good level of production, you know, elsewhere. You know, I really don't know what the plan is for Christian Arroyo, but it really seems like if the Red Sox have a chance to bring in kind of a big, high-profile player, it might be Javier Baez. And I think that he would not be a terrible fit, but I think I just have some concerns about his offensive game um, as a guy who hit 203 during the pandemic season and hit only 248 uh, during his 91 games with the Cubs this season. But who knows? You know, those seasons could be an aberration because, you know, overall this past season he hit 265, which is not half bad. 2019 he hit 281. Um, and then finished second in MVP voting in 2018 with 34 home runs and 111 RBIs. So I think that it could be exciting, but I also think, like Simeon, there are going to be a lot of teams that are going to be interested um, in Javier Baez services. But I think the one thing that the Red Sox have going for them is Cora's relationship with him. And so I think that could be a deciding factor if he does choose to come to the Red Sox. So and that will definitely be someone to keep your eye on um, if you're a Red Sox fan. Um, we are also in the midst of baseball awards season. You know, he mentioned that Evaldi finished uh, fourth place in American League Cy Young voting. Uh, Robbie Ray winning the American League Cy Young award yesterday, leading Major League Baseball in strikeouts. He had a pretty outstanding season for the Blue Jays. And then Corbin Burns winning for the Brewers, just barely edging Zach Wheeler for the National League Cy Young Award winner, or to win the National League Cy Young Award. Um, and then there were some awards awarded a couple days ago. Kevin Cash winning Manager of the Year in the American League. I'm kind of shocked that uh, Alex Cora was not a finalist. You know, I mean, I guess I don't understand why Rust or Dusty Baker was a finalist because it's like you have a very talented team over there in Houston, you know, and it's like, not to say that it's easy to manage, but it's like, come on, that team is so talented. And like the Red Sox had no expectations this season. I just think that Cora got, uh, got the raw end, got, got kind of the raw end of the stick on that one. I think he should have absolutely been a finalist. You know, should he have won? Maybe not, but I think he definitely deserves some recognition for, you know, having this team two wins from the World Series. So, you know, what are you going to do? But it's like, I feel like Kevin Cash is going to win it every year uh, for some reason. But, you know, congratulations to him. But I do think Cora definitely deserved a little bit more uh, recognition. Gabe Kapler winning National League Manager of the Year award. You know, no real surprise there with the job that he did with the Giants. Um, for Rookie of the Year, Jonathan India won in the National League. He uh, plays for the Reds, and then Randy Rosarena winning for the Rays. So the Rays taking home a couple of awards. Um, Rosarena, technically, this was his rookie season. I know he had, you know, the unbelievable playoffs last season, but um, did not play enough games last year, I think, to be considered a rookie. So he wins it this year, really kind of no, really was not much of a, a competition there. Um Today, though, the big one is being awarded the American League and National League MVP. You know, with respect to Vlad Guerrero Jr. and Marcus Simeon, 
I think we all know that uh, Shohei Otani is going to win American League MVP. I mean, there's really not too much of a conversation to have here as he hit 46 home runs um, and was 9-2 as a starter. I mean, guy that uh, put together a season that we've not seen since Babe Ruth. So, you know, there's no way to give it to anyone else. You know, he just was um, amazing, you know, just so much fun to watch, so electric and Major props to him for winning American League, or for most likely winning American League MVP. I know I probably shouldn't say it like that, but I don't expect that uh, he will not win. But uh, he had a tremendous season, and, you know, Guerrero and Simeon had great seasons too. You know, that Toronto offense was unbelievable this season. Guerrero, obviously, with an unbelievable offensive season. And then Simeon, you know, arguably putting together the best offensive season of any second baseman in baseball history, you know, set the record for most home runs at that position. You know, honestly, if it wasn't for Otani, I honestly think Simeon probably would win it this year. Um, But he, both of them had tremendous seasons. Um, In the National League, it's a little bit more of a toss-up with uh, Bryce Harper, Fernando Tatis Jr., and, and Juan Soto. I think Soto edges out Harper tonight, but obviously that could Anything could happen, but I really think it's going to be either Harper or Soda that wins uh, the award in the National League. Um, just some other notes from around the league. The Astros obviously bringing back uh, Verlander, a one-year $25 million deal. You know, it's only baseball where you see those one-year deals worth like over $20 million. Um, and that's also what the Angels gave Noah Syndergaard, the former uh, Mets pitcher who I think is coming off Tommy John surgery. So the Angels giving him a one-year deal, um, and Brandon Belt will stay with the Giants signing uh, their qualifying offer of $18.4 million, and the Cleveland, in- Cleveland Indians are official. I, I, I don't know what's going on today. <laughs> um, Cleveland Indians changing their name officially to the Cleveland Guardians tomorrow, so that will be the change there. So I think we will move on, get into some college sports, and update you on some on some soccer. So we take a look at the college football playoff rankings. Uh, the top seven did not change at all this week, so no differences here. So uh, Georgia and Alabama at one and two and then followed by Oregon and Ohio State, and then Cincinnati and Michigan just on the outside. And then Michigan State at seven, some teams that dropped and dropped and um, were able to go up. Ole Miss jumped up three spots to 12th. Oklahoma down five spots to 13. Texas A&M down five spots to 16. Wisconsin up three to 15. Um, and then NC State down to 20 from 16. And then Houston and Mississippi State joining the rankings this week. So a couple of key games this weekend or on Saturday. You have uh, Michigan State against Ohio State, 7 versus 4. This will be a massive game um, in terms of the Big Ten and I think also in terms of the playoff. Um, if Michigan State's able to win, I think that they have a pretty good case to be in the top four. Um, But this game is in Ohio, so that will be 
Definitely a game to watch in the ACC. You have 10th-ranked Wake Forest going up against Clemson. I think that this will be a pretty interesting game. You know, Clemson's been a team that has been pretty disappointing all year long, but I think that they've kind of figured things out a little bit offensively as they've won three straight games. And, you know, Wake Forest did have a nice bounce-back win last week, but I think, you know, this is kind of their kind of the ACC's hope to be a team that, maybe has a chance to get into the playoff, but I think Clemson plays them well um, on Saturday. But those two games will definitely be something to watch in the early window. And then at 3.30, Arkansas will play against second-ranked Alabama, 21 versus 2. And then later at 7.30, third-ranked Oregon plays 23rd-ranked Utah. So that's a pretty big game in the Pac-12. Um, so we'll move on. We'll talk a little bit about the U.S. men's soccer team. Uh, the national team had uh, their two qualifying games for the uh, November window. Obviously, we talked about the Mexico game on last week's podcast. Um, they were able to get the win 2 to nothing. Lissick and Weston McKinney with the goals. And Team USA was really good in this game. You know, I think they definitely deserve to get the three points and get the win. And so that was, you know, a good performance, but unfortunately they were not able to follow it up with a win against Jamaica as they tied one to one on Tuesday after Tuesday evening. You know, I think Coach Burr Halter was pretty happy with the tie, you know, that you can get points on the road, but I think it is not ideal because the the team is still, you know, very much in the thick of the, the race for, you know, getting those top three spots uh, for the World Cup. So the teams are roughly halfway through the qualifying games, 14 games played. Each team has played eight. Team USA is currently in second place, uh, one point behind Canada, who is leading the group. They have yet to lose a game. Um, Team USA has only lost once also. Um, but I think it was very encouraging to see U.S. win a game against Mexico, kind of give them uh, something to feel good about. But I think that they were very fortunate uh, to come away with a draw in Jamaica. So maybe that makes you feel good. Maybe it doesn't. But they will be off until, I believe, next year. I think January will be the next uh, window. They do have a – they do currently have a international friend – friendly, I believe, in December against Bosnia and Herzegovina uh, on December 18th, and then Team USA will return to qualifying play in late January with two matches against El Salvador at home and then on the road against Canada. So now we will close with a little bit of college basketball, not much change um, in the top of the rankings um, as there's only been one week as we're only one week into the season, Gonzaga, UCLA, Kansas, Michigan, and Villanova in the top five. Kansas is in action tonight against Stony Brook. Um, Ohio state is in action. 19th ranked. They are playing Xavier. That's always a decent rivalry game. The uh, couple of Ohio schools, uh, 14th or 24th ranked Florida, plays Wisconsin-Milwaukee tonight at 6, and then St. Bonaventure is in action. Those are the four ranked games, and obviously we'll keep you guys updated with the 
tournaments that go on um, or in and around or during and like around Thanksgiving um, or I think oftentimes they're tournaments during the like Christmas break too. So um, obviously I think that that probably does it does it for me this week for uh, not your average Boston sports podcast. Thanks to everyone for, for listening. You know, as always, you can follow the Facebook and Twitter page. You can listen on uh, Apple podcasts and on Spotify. Not sure if we'll be with you guys next week uh, with Thanksgiving. Obviously I don't plan to record an episode on Thanksgiving, but uh, maybe able to get a quick episode in for you guys, maybe earlier in the week. Um, but if I don't, and I don't speak to you guys, everyone have a great holiday, have a great Thanksgiving, enjoy the time uh, with your family, and this afternoon, go out and enjoy the weather, because it's pretty nice around Massachusetts, so enjoy the weather, and uh, good luck to the Patriots tonight as they play Atlanta. So we'll talk to you guys soon.